Good to see you guys this morning. How are you? How's everyone doing? Good. You're doing well. Good. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Um, again, I'm I'm Pastor Brandon, the family pastor. It's an honor to to um, speak with you this morning. Um, so my family and I yesterday, our son Ethan, eighth grader, playing um, soccer this year at at Finney, and it was it was fun just to be there yesterday. Um, so the sun was out, and it was like a summer day, you know, here as we get into fall. It was beautiful. But I'm noticing, like, the heat on this side of my face, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have a sunburn on this side of me tomorrow. And I wake up this morning, I got this red neck and red face. I'm like, okay, I'm going to look two-faced this morning as I'm speaking. But um, anyways, it was a beautiful day yesterday. Loved, loved it. Um, how many of you in school growing up, you had a favorite subject of yours? You just had a favorite subject that you love going to? And how many of you had a subject? that you just hated. It was the worst, okay? Many, many of us did. Um, I, um, some of you that loved everything about school, okay, just so you know, we all didn't like you. <laughs> no, no, but uh, that, that's great. That's awesome. I loved, as a kid, I loved history. I loved, um, I had some incredible um, history teachers in both middle school and high school, and it just made history real and come alive. And obviously, we know that makes a difference. Teachers, you're awesome. We love you. What you do matters so much. Um, interesting to me, though, as a kid, were, were the wor- world, excuse me, let me try that again, the world wars. Um, it really just maybe because of how large scale they were. Um, of course, for the first time, these, these were many nations battling for the same cause, a united cause that was unprecedented at that time. Um, my, my, I was also interested in the presidents. My, my parents got me this huge presidents book as a, probably second, third grader. I was reading through this huge book on the presidents. And I could tell you, you know, the only president that was never married. And I could tell you the first president that died in office. And I knew all these facts about the presidents. It was just super interesting to me. Call me a nerd if that makes you feel better. Um, but um, my mind, as, we, we, as I thought about the world wars, my mind as a kid often wandered to how someone like Hitler came to be so evil how could how could he do all these horrible things and lead so many to destruction during his reign of terror around the world adolf hitler actually believed he had the best interests of the germans in mind did you know that he thought he had the their best interests in mind ideologically he believed in the dominance of the aryan race the prominence of the german nation and other ideologies along with that with with that belief set then established detailed plans were set in place for a takeover of europe and beyond which would result in the extermination of all non-aryan german peoples hitler believed fully in the truth of his worldview and was able to convince millions around him of it it's easy for us to look back on that time in history and, and see how wrong Nazi ideologies were. Many books, documentaries, and other works have been produced detailing the history and the basis for his ideology. But I start there this morning to make this simple point. Hitler was guided by a set of beliefs, as horrible as they were. As we start, I want to make this first point. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone, you and I, everyone we come into contact with has a worldview. While some like Nazism are based in hatred and overtly false, others are more subtly false. And while they're still incorrect, they seem attractive to many at first, right? Isn't that right? Because of aspects of the worldview that may seem good. Nazism started with this same good basis, potentially, that, that, that Germans deserved better. 
It started there. After World War I had decimated Germany and crippled the economy, millions were without work, unable to provide for their families. There were many other issues that went into this. That's no, by no means an exhaustive list. But they were then baited by a new political party that promised answers to all of their woes, right? The National Socialist German Workers' Party, or Nazi Party for short, promised a new vibrant economy, endless career opportunities for everyone. They, they, they seem to have answers to all of their problems, right? Maybe it could be said that so many in Germany couldn't see past the promises of the regime to the lies of its, the, the ideology that was its basis. So why do I start this morning? You're like, Pastor Brian, I did not expect that as we started this morning. We're getting into a brand new series um, we've titled Back to the Basics, and we're going to, to work through this series over the next few weeks to unpack some of the more um, important questions and significant um, challenges we face in a, in a culture that is post-secular, post-truth. And then we're going to look at what the Word of God has to say about these questions. Questions about the character of God, the institution of marriage, the problem of sin. And I want to begin us today highlighting that reality that we mentioned, that we all have a worldview. And all worldviews, here's the next step, all worldviews have a foundation. There was something that was the basis for that worldview. All have a source for the ideas, the beliefs which have formed that belief set. I want to look today at our worldview as followers of Christ and define for each of us what should be our source as followers of Christ. Church, if we don't have a firm and deep biblical reality for the things, uh, these questions that we're asking, then we're going to struggle to discern what is God's truth and what is just attractive messaging from the culture. Amen? We're going to struggle to make that discernment if our, if our foundation is not secure in the Word of God. Defining terms is important. So let's start with worldview. A worldview is a philosophy of life or conception of the world. Or, or, or what do you believe about the world? We, we can start there. What do you believe about the world? As, as we said, everyone has a worldview. Everyone considers at some point the biggest questions of life. How did we get here? Um, creation um, uh, story. What's my purpose here on life? And, and, and so on. Is there an afterlife? Those questions every religious system attempts to answer. Every, every system has, has some type of response to the biggest questions in life. We're not going to, to go in um, to specifics this morning necessarily on how, how Christianity does, but I believe it is the only worldview which answers those questions completely and reasonably. Amen? I, would you allow me for a minute um, to, to sidetrack here for a minute? It, it's a, something I think is important, though, as we get started here this morning. Um, our personal stories of transformation, our, our testimonies of how we came to Christ and our lives were changed, as powerful and impactful as they, as they um, are, they cannot be, I, I, I really don't think, they cannot be the only basis for why we believe what we believe. And, and, and did you know, let, let, me, let me make a point here, did you know that many people who have um, came to the Muslim worldview in prison and, and other places would talk about their personal story of life change. Do you know that? Many people that would, would say that Islam changed their life. Many, many Mormons who have come to the Mormon faith will talk about their personal testimonies of how they've been changed through Mormonism. That doesn't make their worldview true. 
Amen. You hear where I'm going with that? While, while stories of, of transformation are important, it cannot be the only way we defend or define our faith. I hold, you and I hold to a Christian worldview because it's true. Christianity holds up to um, scrutiny historically and in other ways. It has been tested throughout the centuries, and church, it has remained. Other worldviews have been tested with similar scrutiny and have failed to hold up. I want to give you an example this morning. Um, Some of you may know one of the statements of origins of the Mormon or Latter-day Saints group makes is this um, apparent link um, DNA link between a supposed lost tribe of Israel and the Native Americans that first inhabited the Americas. Did you know that? They, they make this claim of origin that said, that said the Native Americans actually descended from this lost tribe of Israel. That, that's a claim that Joseph Smith made in the Book of Mormon. Um, However, here's what happened. When, when DNA um, testing started to become readily available in the 90s, they were able to do DNA testing to verify this claim. The DNA um, researchers tested over 7,000 um, Native Americans from 175 different tribes around the Americas. And guess what? Zero Middle Eastern um, um, genetic trait found in the bloodline of Native Americans. The, the claim of origin there made was absolutely false. Damaging evidence against the Book of Mormon, which Joseph Smith hailed as, quote, the mes- most correct of any book on earth. But the Bible, church, has held up to similar scrutiny. I want to add this morning, as we continue, it's imp- there's an important distinction here. We hold not just to a Christian worldview, but to a biblical worldview. Pastor Brandon, why does that matter? The distinction is important because now we're faced today with many who would call themselves Christian, but also happen to reject many of the most basic doctrinal tenets of the Scripture. Not to sound like I'm picking on our Mormon friends because that's not what I'm doing this morning, but, but many, for instance, have wrongly believed that Mormonism is just another denomination within the Christian um, faith um, and when, in fact, they, com- they follow a completely different Jesus. They deny the divinity of Christ, among many other things. Apologist Elisa Childers writes of the phenomena of another distinct worldview, progressive Christianity, in her book, Another Gospel, and contends that a version of the Christian faith that denies these foundational doctrine, his, these historic Christian doctrine, as she puts it, um, such as the inerrancy of Scripture, the divinity of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the, or the reality of sin, and also celebrates cultural norms like homosexuality and gender identity, to name a few, of which the Bible speaks truth to, cannot be the same historic Christian faith of the early church and is therefore, by definition, a different worldview. Here's some reality for us this morning and my first, my first point. False and competing worldviews have always been around and will always exist, Right? The Bible not only tells us that this will happen, um, it tells us that many will be led astray. Church, we should should expect them to continue to come. And and while it burdens our hearts to see it happen, um, we should not be disillusioned as, as people around us fall for some of these false worldviews. Church, let's pray for people. Let's guide people. Let's not be um, uh, um, nervous about sharing truth with people. But we do have to understand in some reality that, that this, this, the Bible tells us that this is going to happen some. 
you've heard the phrase, um, there's nothing new under the sun. Did you know, by the way, that's from the Bible? <laughs> if anybody ever says that, that's, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. That's from Ecclesiastes 1.9. But as it relates to worldview, this concept is absolutely true. Groups of people who held to unbiblical and extra-biblical ideas, meaning they added to the gospel, were, false, uh, were called false teachers by the early church leaders. And church leaders and fellow believers were instructed to actually correct some of these false um, ideas and ideologies. Paul and others called these out, such as this one to start this morning. Uh, we've talked about this here some on Sunday mornings. Many of you familiar with this idea. There were early be- believers in the church who, who wrongly commanded that non-Jewish Christians should be circumcised as a requirement of their faith. Did you know that? They said, in order to follow Christ, you've got to follow these Jewish customs, or your faith is not real. It's not genuine. You don't really have a relationship with Christ. How many are thankful that that did not stick? Um, Galatians chapter 2 records some of this controversy here. Um, Galatians 2, if you got your Bibles with you, we're looking at verses 11 through 14. It'll be on the screens for you as well. Um, this talks about a little bit of what happened here. When Peter came to, to, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul writing here in Galatians. Because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when, when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. But when I saw that they were not acting in line with the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? This added worldview of the Judaizers, as they were called, believed that Jewish customs like circumcision, as I said, had to be followed in order for their faith to be genuine, whether they were Jewish or not. I want to compare, I want to compare that cultural expectation to something that we might understand a little bit more, um, today. Many of you know, you know, before indoor, um, um, hot, hot tubs that were used as, as, uh, for baptism. All right. They, they would just go out back right to the Creek, whatever <laughs> Creek or body of water was close. Anybody ever been to an outdoor baptism service? Anybody ever been? I, I, I've been to some, um, as, uh, my, my grandparents church in Missouri, a little old country Baptist church in Missouri, and they would, they would do, um, outdoor baptisms, but it's especially common, common in the Southern us, I think, um, to baptize in that way. You're just hoping that there's no snapping turtle, right, in the, in the pond <laughs> or, or cow manure from the, the cattle, uh, field right over there. Anyways, um, but, but what the Judaizers were doing would be like American Christians in the South saying that in order for you, for your baptism, for your, to be real, you had to be baptized outdoors, right? There, it was a cultural, um, practice, custom that they were applying to, um, the reality of the gospel. Um, most, um, all of us in, co- in colder climates would not appreciate that custom, would we? Uh, the requirement to our faith. And so Paul calls these Judaizers out as they attempted to add works of the law to the truth of the gospel. Early leaders also battled Greek-influenced Hellenism, a worldview based on the idea that human beings are the ultimate source of truth and authority in the universe. 
We're going to talk about um, the implications of that worldview in, a, in just a little bit. In Acts 17, though, um, there is an incredible encounter between Paul and some of the Greek philosophers of the day. Um, Paul then gives a more lengthy sermon after this interaction recorded in the second half of, of chapter 17. I want to encourage you all on your own to read through that full sermon. Um, but here's the opening part of the conversation. This is Acts chapter 17. Verses 16 through 20. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Then they, um, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the re- resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. I love that sentence. You're bringing some strange ideas to my ears. Um, this is a picture of the Areopagus, where they would have been at in Athens. Um, the Areopagus was a rock outcropping in an Athens, Greece, right down the hill from the Acropolis. Many have heard of, of the Greek Acropolis there. It was a place where, where high-level debate and meetings of government council took place, as well as some trials for serious crimes like murder and others. This was really pre-Roman occupation for the most part. But, but interesting in the Sermon of the Areopagus is that in verse 28, Paul actually makes reference to some of these very philosophies that he was debating and was able to show because of that uh, a knowledge and understanding of these competing worldviews. This is a plaque that is actually there on the Areopagus in, in Athens, Greek. You, if you go there to this day, you can see this there. Um, this is a recording uh, in, in Greek of the whole sermon from the book of Acts that Paul makes there at the Areopagus. Very, very cool um, but but so interesting as Paul preaches here at the Areopagus and his knowledge of these different worldviews. He's got these um, schools of thought, this Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, different Greek schools of, of philosophy. He's got their attention and he's able to speak to some of what their, their worldview is in the sermon. So he's got their attention and able to present the truth. Of the gospel, but these these Hellenistic and the Judaistic uh, groups added false doctrine to the faith, and as Paul mentions, were not in line with the truth of the gospel. Down in verse twenty-one, Paul ends the chapter by adding, ends the sermon at the Areopagus like this: um, In twenty-one, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Amen. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died. For nothing. And so, with conviction and strength, Paul defends the truth of the gospel message against these competing um, false worldviews that were attempting to diminish or add to the truth. And so, that brings me to my next point this morning. Worldview comes down to the question, I believe, what do you believe about truth? What do you believe about truth? You see, Paul stood to defend the message of the gospel against these all, these false ideas that were that were being added. But but what's what's interesting in the culture we're living in today is that many reject this idea that there is even such a thing as absolute truth. I, I talked with I talked with um, someone after first service this morning. They said, Pastor Brandon, I loved your message. Um, she said, but but 
um, so many times people don't even believe that the Bible is is true. So how how do we get here? And and I said that's absolutely true. People people are way back here sometimes, and even just rejecting the idea of truth. So a, a Christian apologist and some uh, Christian philosophers often have to stay, start way back here with people to even get people to see that no, there is a standard and basic um, basis of truth. Um, Paul stood to defend the truth of the gospel. Many reject this idea of absolute truth, that there's an objective standard of reality is widely um, thrown out as people readily adopt relativistic standards, such as you've heard things like this before. Truth is, truth is whatever you believe it is, right? What, whatever's true, um, it, just because it's true for you doesn't mean it's true for me. It's my truth, right? We hear that. That's my truth. Well, you're wrong, but no, I, I, I'm curious. I'm curious what the implications would have been if Paul had allowed the, these competing worldviews to remain unchallenged because instead he just accepted them as the truth of the individual, right? He, 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 he didn't allow that to stand. The standard makes the in this standard of relativism makes the individual God able to define absolute truth for myself without a basis for a true moral foundation. Do you see that? It makes the individual God. Pastor and care, um, author Kerry Newoff talked about how dangerous this was when he said, the rise of self as the ultimate arbiter of truth is antithetical not only to the gospel, but to the very basis of civilization itself. You and I, church, are not the ultimate source of truth. Can I get an amen? You and I are not that source. I am certainly not. Don't tell Brittany. Don't tell my wife. I am certainly not. And you are certainly not. You are, I've seen some of your social media posts. Okay. You, (laughs) who said, wow, (laughs) that you are not the ultimate source of truth. I'm sorry. So I challenge you this morning with this. Is your worldview or what you believe about truth, is my worldview founded in my own thinking? Another common worldview pulls all the good ideas from all the religions and just pulls it all together and what makes me feel good, right? It's like a buffet religion, right? Oh, this sounds good. I'll take this from um, Hinduism. I'll take this from Islam. This is really good. This sounds really good from Judaism, from Christianity. I'll just make my own sort of thing, right? We might call that um, new age spiritualism. It's, it's taking the best of everything and just creating my own little worldview, is your worldview, your own thought process all pulled together or is it based on an actual foundation of truth? Church, let me ask you, do you know what the Bible says about fill in the blank? Do you know what the Bible says about blank? The word of God, the Bible, the inspired revelation of God to his creation, that is our standard from which we build our understanding of truth. Can I get an amen? <laughs> that is our standard from where we build our worldview. Isn't it peculiar that the progressive church then must first deny the inerrancy of the Bible in order to be able to teach and tailor their own version of the truth as, these, as they see fit? Think about the, the reasoning there for a little bit. If I can, if I can deny and that this source is, is true and, and, and reasonable and reliable, if I can deny that, then my version of the truth can be taught without accountability. You see that? There's no, often no scriptural accountability when I can just say it's not true. 
This is most obvious in, in how so many, even within the church, have begun to accept LGBTQ lifestyle and gender identity issues as normative and, and common. And unfortunately, many Christians are, are, do not know passages in the Bible which speak to these issues. We don't know what the Bible says about blank. And at the expense of seeming um, um, hateful to the culture, we acquiesce to it, disregarding the Bible's loving direction to holy sexuality. The Bible church is our standard of truth as we lovingly call people to a holy God. Amen. Church, as Jesus followers, we go further and, and we base our standard of truth, not just in the word of God, but also in a person. We finally get to use that Sunday school answer. Everybody remember when your Sunday school teacher or other leader would ask you a question and you would just default to Jesus because you didn't know, right? What's the answer? Jesus. But, but here we get to use it. What it, who is truth? Church, everyone together, who is truth? Jesus. Jesus Christ himself church is absolute truth. He tells us this in John 14, six in his own words. And everyone should know this verse committed to memory, by the way, it says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Church, Jesus defines himself as truth. A couple of Sundays ago, Pastor Barden referenced um, a fascinating interaction between Jesus and Pilate after Jewish leaders brought Jesus to Pilate to try to put him on trial to crucify him. You'll remember this from John 18, um, 37 goes like this. You are a king. Then said Pilate, Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. There it is again, Jesus professing that his very purpose is to speak to the truth, that those who are on the side of truth follow him. Let me add something else here. If you ever hear anyone say um, Jesus uh, was not who he said he was, that he was just a good teacher or he was a prophet, he made some pretty outlandish claims to be a good teacher. Either he was a liar or he was who he said he was. You, you, get, you see that? Jesus cannot have been just a good teacher, a good prophet, um, if he lied about who he said he was. But not only did Jesus profess to be the, the very embodiment of truth itself, he also explained the role of the coming Holy Spirit this way in John sixteen thirteen. He said, but when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will speak, um, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Church, the, the, the Spirit is characterized as well by truth. In fact, he's called the Spirit of truth here and a handful of other times throughout John. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit then is to testify to the truth in person of Jesus. Amazing, I think, how all three members of the Trinity are linked with this concept of truth. So church, when we have a discussion on, on, on truth as disciples of followers of Jesus, when we strip away all the world's definitions, we come back to the creator of the universe as the very definition of the word. We serve a God that is true. When we understand, when we really get to that, hopefully we're ready to step then into the implications of Christ existing as ultimate truth. If Christ is true and what he said is true, what does that mean then for my life? Because here's what we must come to, I, I believe. Belief then must change our actions. 
Amen? It must change our actions, how we live. We can't just believe a worldview if we then don't live, right, with, its, with the implications of it. To my last point this morning, along with the shift in worldview, we must have a shift in the position of our hearts Church head knowledge is important. That's what our, that's what I, we've been talking about this morning. But, but we must know why, I'm sorry, we must know why we believe what we believe so that in our, that uh, when our beliefs are challenged in this post-truth culture, um, we can have reasonable responses to, to some of these critiques, to some of these um, challenges to our faith. But here's the balance to all that this morning. It cannot just be head knowledge. Knowing about God, I say this to my teens weekly, knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. Case in point, did you know there's a whole field, um, a subfield in archaeology um, called biblical archaeology? And, and these archaeologists, these scientists, all they do is study um, um, biblical archaeology and, and link what's been finding to, to Scripture. Did you know that most biblical archaeologists are not believers? They're not Christians. These archaeologists are literally unearthing evidence that overwhelmingly, look, look it up sometime, the, all the archaeology um, evidence that has, has been supported by the biblical narrative. Um, they are literally um, unearthing these truths that, that, that um, Scripture tells us about, and yet they are not um, followers of Christ. Church, having the information is not the same as letting the information change you. The follower of Jesus, though, has two weapons on our side. Absolute truth. We know it's true. It can be tested. It's, it's, it's stood up to scrutiny over time and the possibility of a changed life, something no other worldview, I believe, has. James reminds us practically to be doers of the word then, to not just know it um, or hear it, but to actually do it. He tells us in James 1.22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, uh, does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after, after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. If you're here this morning and you, you've been on a journey of faith of some, of some parts, and I don't know what that's looked like for you. We all have different backgrounds and different experiences, um, of faith and, um, Maybe, maybe you've been here coming regularly and you've been, you've been searching, you've been asking some of these questions, watching online this morning and asking maybe some of those same questions. Or maybe, um, maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe just to appease your spouse um, or family, um, but have never made um, that heart shift yourself. I want to give you an opportunity this morning and challenge you this morning to make that heart shift um, this is an opportunity, by the way, that's always available to you. There's nothing special about me asking uh, this morning. But I want to encourage you that I believe there comes a time when you've asked enough questions. We, we, when we've had enough um, answers. And it's time to make a, a heart surrender to Jesus. Romans 10.9 gives simple direction for surrender to Christ. When it says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what's in there? You will be saved. Here's what's interesting to me about this those verse in Romans. Where, um, it's pointing to both aspects that we've talking about this morning. Declaring with your mouth, saying something that you believe is true and believing in your heart. That's the heart shift. Both of those things need to happen as we follow Christ.
If you're ready this morning and that's you to surrender your heart to Jesus, you've never done that. I want to invite you to do that as we pray. Um, And I'm only going to ask you to do one other thing, if you would. I'm going to invite you to, to, to then find someone if you make that decision. I want to invite you to find someone, myself, pastor, another leader, a friend, family member that you that you trust. Let them know that you've made that decision so that then we as a church can come around you, we can support you, we can love you as you as you submit yourself and your life to Christ. Amen. Would you do that for us this morning? Let's stand, would we? Let's stand as we close and pray, and then the, the worship team is going to come and end us this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for every single heart here this morning. Lord, not only do we serve a, a worldview that is true, that's been tested, that stands up to scrutiny, Lord, but we serve a God who changes our hearts and changes our lives. I pray for anyone here this morning, anyone watching online, um, watching that, that, that Lord, that's been searching, that's been asking questions, that's been checking this thing out. God, it's, it's good to ask questions. It's not bad to have doubts, Lord, but I believe there comes a time when we have to, to say, I, I've asked enough questions and, and Lord, I give you my heart. I pray those um, here this morning, Lord, that maybe at that point, Lord, that you would guide them, that your Holy Spirit would just minister their hearts as they make a decision to follow you. That then as the church, that the body of Christ, Lord, we would surround um, um, people in love that are walking this journey of faith and that we would guide and support and love. Lord, for so many who are are faced with, um, each and every one of us faced with worldviews, God, that challenge the very basis of truth, Lord, I I pray that as Pastor mentioned earlier, we would realize that there is always hope, that we would know that we serve a God that goes with us each and every day, and that we would be encouraged to, as as Scripture tells us, to stand firm and fast in the faith, Lord, as we walk in a world that rejects you. God, we love you. We're thankful, so thankful for your presence and love. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's worship together this morning.